Welcome to On the Bench. I am your host for this episode, Brendan Sinone, joined by Zach Lostin, who's already quite feisty. Hello, feisty Zach. Mailbag. <laughs> Weird. Uh, he's sick again, obviously. And the one, the only, the great one, Chris Nee. Chris, hello. Good morning. All right, guys. I like the energy, I think. I'm not sure. We are doing a... Mailbag. Episode of On the Bench. You know, it's February and we're hurting for content when we do mailbag episodes back-to-back weeks, but you guys came in pretty strong with the questions today, and we have a lot to get to of the football and the recruiting variety, as well as just some random stuff as well. It'll be fun. Before we get to that, Chris, real quick, we got baseball season about to start. We got basketball season about to end. Thank Uh, God. Let's start with basketball. FSU's at what, eight wins right now this season? Yeah, I think it's 8-19 now after last night's loss, 6-10 and 10 in the league. They're no good. I mean, to just be brutally direct about it, they're they're awful. The culture has gone bad. That team's effort is bad. Uh, there are excuses that are valid, you know, injuries, things of that sort that have definitely hindered what they could be this year. But it's a two-year trend. They weren't very good last year. They're far worse this year. I don't know how quickly it can be corrected. I don't know that Leonard Hamilton has the time left to correct it personally. Uh, it's going to be interesting. I, I've not, to any point prior to the last evening, I've not thought that, yeah, Ham might be shown the door. But after last evening, a 40-point loss at Clemson, worst loss in FSU's history in that series, worst loss, or I'm sorry, biggest win for Clemson, I believe, ever in the ACC. Yeah, I, I think it's all on the table. I think you have to legitimately consider it a, I've made a comparison at times throughout the year that it reminds me of a women's basketball team last year where you could just tell sort of the magic was gone and it was going to be tough to kind of bounce back. And to Sue's credit last eve last year, she kind of figured that out in real time and handed the keys off. And Brooks done a very good job of flipping it quickly, but they, they gutted that thing and they went heavy in the portal and they're playing shorthanded. They basically have 10 players when they're completely healthy right now and they're not completely healthy. They're basically playing with eight and a half players right now on the women's side. I think that's where the men are. I think that team has to be gutted. I think you kind of have to hit reset button. I don't know that Leonard Hamilton is wired to do that. He's never been good at being the bad guy. He's never been one who wants to show guys the door. And those are good qualities. He's graduated a ton of players and turned them into better humans. And those are all very good things about Leonard Hamilton. He's got two years left on his contract. If he wants to still coach here and win here, he's going to have to change his approach. And I, I just don't know if he's wired to do that. He's not been particularly good at leaning on the portal. They've had some success with portal guys. I mean, Cam Fletcher is a portal guy. Darren Green Jr. is a portal guy. Both of those guys are important pieces to this team before Cam Fletcher got hurt this year, of course. And then Jalen Ganey, who never played this year because of injury, was another portal guy. So it's not like he's – incapable of using it he's just not in comparison to the college basketball landscape as it currently is ever been one to go all the way in he's always been a program developer kind of slow and steady we're going to develop young guys in the third fourth fifth year players and that kind of patience is out the door at this point where the program sits and where he sits and where the contract sits and i'm very interested how it will all be navigated by him by uh ad alford all of it at the end of this year you know I, I I don't I'm not going to pitch optimism for the long term projection of FSU basketball if Leonard Hamilton remains the head coach because I just don't know that he's made to do what is necessary to find success immediately in a turnaround. I do think it's fair to note that Ham has reshaped his 
trajectory and, and altered his approach to recruiting to player development in the past about six yes. or seven years ago. Uh, but that was six or seven years ago. The landscape has changed again. And the team losing now, Chris, I think is very different. Just just the way you're losing than it was back then. Like there, yeah, there the, seems to be this I, loss of of having to pulse on the on the program, it feels like. Not to sound like a broken record who's previously talked about this in football, but there feels like culture rot, to put it plain and simple. That group does not want to play defense. FSU's backbone throughout the entire time of Leonard Hamilton, even when they were scoring in the 80s consistently, was they were going to play defense. They were going to make a great deal of effort on defense. Mm -hmm. This team's effort stinks to be direct about. It's not good. There are times where they wilt and they quit and they have no interest in trying to play hard. And they don't want to be the team that, you know, fights. You you can you can have the record FSU has and feel less disgusted by it if you've seen effort and a willingness not to quit. They got the doors blown off from last evening and decided never really to try to battle back in that right. thing. I think it got down to 14 at one point, and then they immediately gave up a 7-0 run. They're not very good, but their effort stinks, and there's not a good dynamic to that group. And there's nobody that feels like they want to lead that group. And I know he won't say it on the record. I know Leonard Hamilton knows their leadership stinks with this group. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to sit here and act like Leonard doesn't know what's going on with his team, but it's bad. And I don't know if he is wired to just tear shreds and kind of hit reset and then having the hit on the portal like you would have to to have success. They have one kid committed for the next year from the high school rings, Taylor Bowen, very talented player. He's 100% the kind of player that fits what this program's traditionally been under Leonard Hamilton. But you need more pieces than that. And even with getting guys back healthy like Jalen Ganey, Cam Fletcher, I don't think it's enough to create a turnaround with what they have right now if you look at the roster versus what you think it will be next year. I think they need to sort of gut it, start over, and they got to hit on the portal if they do that. But that's asking a lot, and I just don't know. If you're looking at it as simply wins, losses, and trends, it's gone bad. Right. If you were the athletic director, I think I know what your answer is, Chris, but if you were having to assess this program, both the totality of the athletic program and then the hoops program and, and this culture route that you're assessing right now, would you would you strongly consider that the, yes. a restart totally? Yes. It hurts me to say that. And I'm not rooting for anybody to lose their job, especially guys I really like over there in that building a lot personally. But yeah, yeah, I think there comes a time, I guess is the best way I can put it. I just, I don't think sometimes the magic is lost. And I think it's insanely difficult getting it back without kind of just completely hitting a reset button. And you were right. You mentioned he pivoted years ago and changed and they became a much better offensive team. And, you know, they had a great deal of success, and they also had great assistance with guys like Charlton Young and Dennis Gates at that time. And I'm not trying to take any shots at the current staff, but there's a reason Dennis is a head coach. There's a reason CY is a previous head coach and why CY is a number two for Dennis now currently. Those guys are really, really good, high-quality coaches who knew what recruits looked like, knew how to land, it, land them, knew how to develop them, knew how to turn into a really good program. I just don't know if they've got it right now. I don't know if they have anybody that can go and get two, three, four guys that you need to have a starting five that's capable of playing at a high level in the ACC. And I don't know that they're built to go in the portal and find that kind of success that they would need to find there to do maybe what a team like a Pitt did year over year, where Pitt's now currently number one in the ACC after a disappointing last year, where they kind of flipped in. All five of Pitt starters, I believe, are transfer guys. Four, I believe, are first-year transfers. And then the other one, I believe, is a second-year transfer. 
So can it be done? Yes, it can. I'm just not sure that the way this program has been operated for two decades, if suddenly that's going to happen. I, I just, I, I find it tough. I find it to be tough to convince myself that I believe that could happen. Switching to more optimistic spring is sprung type of gears. We're going to get into FSU football as well as uh, just a quick note. Baseball season begins tomorrow. Yeah, if the rain holds off. If the rain holds off, there will be a storm on Friday. Uh, but not on Saturday. Sunday will be a beautiful weekend for mm-hmm. baseball. Check out Knowles 24-7. Brett Nevitt does, uh, I was going to say an incredible job. It's true, covering baseball, but legitimately the best job. I've, I think I've ever seen anyone do singularly of any soul beat. Uh, maybe ever covering FSU athletics. He's so good. Almost like Zach covering recruiting. Almost. I'm not that good. No, not. Me that's, that's true. You're not. But yeah, we'll have a lot of coverage at Knowles 24-7 throughout the entire course of the season. And it's a, a restart there with Link Jarrett and a fun new era where apparently they look pretty good in practice. So we we will see. Fellas, let's get to the Mailbag. episode. Mailbag. Let's start off with the Fingar 75. He asks, at what point does next season officially become this season? I think this is a good philosophical question to get us going. Start of spring football? Mm, I think the end of spring football. I think the beginning of fall camp. We're off to Man, a good start with Zach, Zach's late to it. I, I I, mean, heck, I almost went with the end of tour of duty. I, I feel like this page turns. Season, this mm. football season? Like, yeah. yeah. You're, you're, Last I, football season ended when the OU game ended. We're, we're sort of in a state of uh, just the in-between right now. But, yeah, next season, I, I think it begins like with I spring ball. I wouldn't call it this season until we're literally approaching the season. Yeah. I think yes. by the end of spring, I'll be writing this upcoming season in articles. Yeah. And that kind of I'm, I'm going to start writing it today. Upcoming season be that guy. next season. It's an eight-month-long season is what we're saying. Football is year-round, guys. Drew904 asks, if you could pick one player on FSU's roster to have a breakout season this year, this this year, this season, who would it be and why? Uh, I'll go with Winston Wright, uh, make the receiving core even better, and rooting for the young man because obviously t- last year was very tough on him. Brendan, you go first. Mm, I have to go with a breakout season. Oh, I got mine. I'm going to go Rodney Hill. Oh, you idiot. <laughs> You could say the same. You could say the same. I, I love that no, you're an no, idiot for stealing his choice. Um, mine's. I guess I'll go uh, receiver Darian Williamson. Oh, that was gonna be my. That was my one B. <laughs> <laughs> I like that none of us picked a defensive player. I feel like the defensive. Well, we're gonna get into play the the defensive too deep with some future questions here. Sunday Gold. What reserve player will be out beat out an established player this spring? I put all the kind of like prognostic questions in a row here, as you're going to find out. So a backup who beats out a established starter. Um, I, I'm going to start the bidding as as you guys think about it. And this is where my brain initially went, but I don't know if I feel great about it. It may not even matter, but Patrick Payton taking another leap to become the dude. It won't really matter defensive end because I think I mean, Jared Versus is going to get the most amount of reps, obviously. But then after that, I think you're going to see three guys kind of get an equal split of, of reps and starter, quote-unquote, might be a little like – it may just not mean a ton. But Patrick Payton maybe jumping over Derek McClendon just because of his upside and how much more room he has to grow uh, wouldn't surprise me. 
I mean, there's transfers. I think will take spots from guys who you view as established. Well, they're not. They're not reserve last season. I guess a safety would be where I would go, but I don't know who I'd pick. Hell, I don't know who's going to play safety right now. Because <laughs> I mean, you see, like Greedy Vance pushing out Kevin Knowles for the nickel role, maybe uh, based on trends. I, I don't know. I think they, it, they bring so much back. I think it's Kentron Portier pushing out who though. Malik McLean. He's not here. I mean, I guess he. Yeah, but been, he was the starter last season. He did push him out. If that's the way you yeah. want to look at it, I suppose. All right. I guess that's as good an answer as we got. Isaiah Holmes, right? Isaiah Holmes. No. Clay Cloud. <laughs> 19- nice that that kind of speaks to the healthiness of the roster. Yeah. Yeah. There is a a sense of uh, trying to go the right word here. Familiarity comfortable familiarity with the group you know what you have and you feel good about it i've said this before in the podcast one of my favorite jimboisms is sometimes the good news is everyone's back sometimes the bad news is everyone's back in this case it's really good news because you won 10 games and uh, you were an upward trajectory as a program right now yeah this roster feels good this is a positive thing to talk about clay cloud 1996 kind of the same question who is going to be that dude this year that no one is really talking about i'm gonna go darren williamson before zach can Ronnie Hill. <laughs> That's what I'm setting you up for. <laughs> um, damn. I mean, I think Braden Fisk is going to have a monster year. I think he's going to be really good. But people yeah, but know talking about people him. that are paying attention know that he is a very highly thought of D lineman who transferred in. Um, like the reserve who makes a jump, I don't. I don't feel great about one. I I don't have a good answer. So next question. Sorry, sorry, Clay Cloud. AVFO3, do you feel like FSU fans should temper expectations on the season or land lean into them? Well, Chris, you were at a you were at the first booster event in Pensacola earlier this week, day before your birthday. Happy belated birthday, by the way. And mm-hmm. and Mike Norvell spoke, and uh, it's kind of been standard this offseason, but as the offseason is ramping up, more and more expectation talk is developing, and it's become extremely clear that man is not shine away from expectations uh, externally, internally, that they're all there. He's discussed that. I don't know if you want to talk about that, but y- your thoughts on whether FSU fans should be tempering them or leaning into them. Real quick, Coach Norvell talked about how, yeah, the general outward expectation did not exist last year, but they had them internally, and he was still unhappy about some of the things they came up short of. But obviously 10 wins was a success and shows positive growth for his program. He's fully leaning into it. He has been since the OU game. Um, I say fans go for it. I mean, fans short fanatic, have fun with it. Like, don't go crazy. Understand that first month, there are two games that are going to be major battles for you to win, LSU and Clemson. But, yeah, go ahead and have a little fun with it. You've gone through some hell. Now enjoy the pleasures. Lean in. Yeah, I'd say lean with it. Like, I think uh, – I think – like Chris said, um, there haven't been that many things to celebrate about for Florida State football in recent years. And um, I think this entire offseason season, um, you have something to, you know, both cherish, which was the 2022 season, and then look forward to in 2023, um, next season, as, as some would say. Um, but I think, yeah, I think I, I at the end of the day, it comes down to the team handling those expectations and not letting it get to them and affect their on-field performance. Um, you know, I think it's almost good if, if they can kind of, you know, have that noise going on right now and start drowning it out early 
Um, it's not something where, you know, they're, they're hitting preseason camp and all the, the attention's coming then. Obviously, there will be heightened attention around the start of the season, but I think uh, I think it'll be good um, for, for both FSU fans and the, and the current players to kind of um, deal with those expectation, expectations now and try and get out of the, you know, not try to get in any type of mindset heading into the year um, that, that would hinder their, their on-field success. And I think Mike Norvell is playing into that, like, like Chris said. I do think that it's interesting, this hesitation from some to lean into the expectations when over the last several years, like we've been, I think, cautiously, I don't want to say cautiously optimistic, almost cautiously pessimistic, where we've always kind of leaned on the lower side of, of what we think they would be. Uh, and now here it is, like, everyone's coming back. You have killed it in the transfer portal. And it does have this feel of, does it feel like almost too good to be true? You're looking around at, like, what Miami and Florida are doing in the offseason. Yeah. It feels like they're sputtering. So I think maybe that's the dynamic at play here. But, like, expectations are relative. Like, what should your expectations be? Is it a national championship? Like, that? you're, you're probably – theoretically not there yet maybe you can outkick what you're supposed to do and and get there again or outkick what you're supposed to do uh, again this year and, and overachieve again um not get there again because it's been a while but winning the acc like why not why not thinking that this team has a legitimate chance to contend for an acc title and then a playoff spot like that should be the expectation you're florida state you've clearly advanced past your trajectory uh, you're ahead of schedule of where you're supposed to be last year 2022 season was a huge 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 year for Mike Norvell and he's he not only salvaged the trajectory of the program he's ascended it to where it's further than I think any of us externally thought it would be uh, entering year four so uh, lean into it would be my suggestion I'm leaning into it I'm covering this program as it's one that's going to be contending for an ACC championship. That That's my scope. That's my trajectory of it. Uh, let's see. Scranton Knoll. Is Jordan Travis the best QB in the ACC? Um, last year, we thought he would be in the top half, right? And he exceeded those expectations to be a top three, probably top two, maybe a top one, maybe the best quarterback in the ACC, but definitely top two or three easily there. Uh who else would be there with them, Chris? The UNC Drake quarterback? May. Yeah, yeah Drake May's the other one. Uh, I So I had this conversation, I think even with you, Brendan, when we were doing all ACC teams. Drake May was the pick for all ACC quarterback because statistic, statistically he was. And they also had a fairly successful season. Jordan Travis is the most important quarterback to any team in the league, and I think he is the best quarterback in the league. If I'm only able to take one for one game, I'm taking JT over Drake May, and I think very highly of Drake May. Yeah, um, I think Jordan Travis was in the top two last season, and he brings back more weapons this year on offense that, you know, tight end along the offensive line, um, you know, veteran playmakers at receiver. I think that um, he'll have an opportunity to, to be that top dude, and, and I think he will be. What does ChatGPT say? Uh, ChatGPT is saying that, uh, Jordan Travis has been a breakout star for the Florida State Seminole. No, I'm kidding. Um, but I did plug in that question. I've been playing around with the AI a little bit, and um, it's kind of weird. But I think it, uh, you know, after doing really uh, detailed research, I figured out that it only uh, 
knows uh, stuff from 2021 and prior. Um, so it's talking about uh, Wake Forest quarterback Sam Hartman, Kenny Pickett of Pittsburgh, and Brennan Armstrong of Virginia um, as the other top quarterbacks. So um, you guys should play around with it. It's fun. It's a free like AI thing, um, and it and can pretty much answer like any question. A wild card in the league would be Club Nick with Clemson. See how yeah. he takes it being a full time starter, having a whole spring. Garrett Riley of the OC. Yeah. Yeah. Um, other than him, I don't know who else I would kind of point at as a possibility. I mean, Tyler Van Dyke? Maybe a resurgence, but you know, who knows? They don't have anyone at receiver though right now, unless they have Yeah. And Shannon, what Dawson is a new OC, new system. Yeah. Sometimes that takes a while. I mean, Miami's they have staff. Miami needing a wide receiver in the transfer portal and then like a really robust wide receiver transfer portal class coming up more or less empty there, right? Did they get anyone at wide receiver? I don't think they added a receiver through the portal. I think they are involved with one guy, but he's not making a decision until like he's not enrolling until that's the, the US, the West yeah, Coast. Yeah, Gary right? Bryant, right? Yeah. I think that's perplexing. That's strange. But they got an eight, oh, no C now, so we'll. We'll see if they fix that. Um, it's a good they trajectory. When you hire like a receivers coach, a running back coach. Things are going well in Miami. <clears throat> Bad Bean wants to know why is mayonnaise white? <laughs> I mean, it's got it's egg based. Is he asking why it's not like a yellowish tinge too? He said these so questions were good. Well, you know they can't all be winners. I don't love mayo. Are you a mayo fan? Like, I don't mind it. I'll use it on a turkey sandwich or maybe a sub, but I'm not one of these people that, like, craves mayo. Yes, in, in, in lieu of buyer Sonoma, let's play may no, may yes or may no. Brought to you by the Turner Group. All right, let's actually play buyer Sonoma. Let's let's stop this from spiraling real quick and play buyer Sonoma presented by the Turner Group. You can reach out to Colin Turner at 407-403-8546 or email him at getstartedatthertrainergroup.com if you are about to enter the housing market. Don't sinone on buying or selling a home. Uh, if it could feel like a daunting process to you, reach out to someone who has a ton of experience. It's a boutique agency with Colin and Amy Turner, husband and wife team, FSU grads. Uh, they are in the central Florida area, but they can help you out throughout the state of Florida kind of guide the uh, navigate through these choppy waters that, that can't be buying or selling a home. So Colin Turner, the Turner group, highly recommended. Great dude. Talk a little bit about FSU football. And he sponsors this silly little game called buy or Sonone, or in this case, may yes or may no. No, just kidding. Sorry, Colin. TB3 golf 714 gets us started by buy or Sonone, presented by the Turner group, a significant player dash starter leaves the program by the end of the spring. I'm going to sit down it. Significant? Yeah, like a too, um, deep, a too deep player, I think, is. Oh, probably. I think a too deep player could leave. Whom? Whom, whom would leave? Like a potential offensive lineman if they realize they're not going to start, maybe? Or yeah, I'm just trying to well, think of who would you just hard to, Yeah, it's hard to know because the, these like position battles haven't been played out yet. So mm -hmm. I don't know like who's considered. If you're talking about from this past season, I mean, I think there could be like some too deep alignment that was, you know, here that that might see the writing on the wall that you know one of these transfers comes in and comes in and, and is slotted to play in front of them. Um, you know, I don't know any name like what Bryson Estes, like some of those guys that have been here for like three years, two three years, like even on the D line, right? Like there's some some guys that. Um, I mean, the tough thing is like a lot of these guys are are kind of. Um, 
like you feel pretty secure about them because they've signed deals with with the battle's end and mm-hmm. the rising spear or whatever so i don't think i'm not worried about any like starter or you know any significant guy um and that's kind of what the question said so um also known it but i think you know you could see maybe like a three deep guy um and still still a, a decently talented person um on both lines of scrimmage maybe depart the program yeah i just don't know who i would feel confident to zach's point like it the it just hasn't been played out yet through the i mean like like looking like historically like i mean there's going to be another transfer portal window there's a good there's a likely chance that fsu has like what at least one to two entries um, well, I mean, yeah, they have probably. they have they have to have multiple guys leave yeah, the program. They have, to get a, yeah. they, have, they have to have like four or five. I'm speaking off the top of my head, there, but they have multiple. So the way I, the way I thought about this question is when December concluded slash early January, who did we think could depart that didn't? Like Malik McLean was someone that we had on the radar, and then obviously he did. Was Trish there other? We did uh, right. I can't really think of others that decided against leaving that we thought were on the radar to potentially depart. No one who would be in the two deep. I guess one that we were considering was just based, and he signed a deal that was Micah Pittman was to see whether he would sign with Rising Spear, and I believe he did. Um, he battles do, the battles end. Excuse me. Oh, sorry, guys. Sorry, Ingram. Um, but like that would be one name that I thought of then, but like that's been taken care of. Yeah, um, I think I think FSU does a pretty good job in those exit interviews and conversations between players and staff of kind of laying out where things stand, where you sit. You know, maybe Byron Turner, for example, is a guy. Maybe he goes through the spring, he's stuck, a little bit yeah. buried. He decides to depart and go maybe to lane somewhere back home. Just throwing it out as a pure example. Maybe something like that. But I don't view Byron Turner, despite how much I do like him and think he has potential, as a guy who I would de- deem a significant type at this stage. Oh, I got a scenario potentially. Uh, what if the spring goes through and Tate Rodemaker starts feeling pressure from one of the younger guys like that could be, or one of the younger guys realizes that I don't have a chance of playing quarterback here for at least specifically, I guess in that case it'd be AJ Duffy. I don't have the chance of playing quarterback until 2025 here. That Tate would be stayed a- through the fire of, everybody being skeptical of him and yeah. i think he kind of likes being here and obviously it's not far from home it's a good point i think right. buy-in is pretty good throughout the roster i guess it's the best way i can sum up why i'm not overly concerned i think you know someone of significance will depart so tyler the answer i guess for all of us is probably sinone right now yeah uh, i think end. another position to know is tight end that, that's a crowded room now um and you have some guys that that were on the two deep last year that might not be you know, talented or um, Jackson or not, West for example. Yeah, with, with, well, who, they have, with it, who they have coming in, right? Like, Jackson West was a two deep player technically last year. He was on the two deep all season despite not being able to play all season. Yeah, exactly. um, there you know, guys, so no one's going to write this, but there's guys who the spring's important for just from a where do you stand on the depth chart short term and long term standpoint. That's the guys that fit into this question more so than the your first or second team or most likely right now kind of guys. Don't tell me what I'm going to write. You're going to write probably some way or another i was thinking about this when i was walking my dog yesterday this is what i think about when i'm walking my dog preston daniel his role he's gonna the, the rare player who continually you know gets older which i guess they all do right so i guess he's not rare in that regard but his role with his role will diminish year over year like he'll go from being a tight end two to tight end three 
to probably a tight end for this season. Yeah, he's the kind of guy that he's going to give you everything he's got, get his degree, and maybe go play your football somewhere else at the end just to play more. But he's still very committed to the program. Ultimately, I think that just falls back to like the the roster continuing to improve. We talked about that earlier. I think that's just another point of that. Let's move on to another buyer known here from Big Earn. Uh, nope, that's not a buy. Oh, yeah, it is. After whiffing on defensive end edge recruiting in the high school rank for two straight cycles, buyer known FSU allocating a higher set of resources in three four to the position group and signing a banner class. Uh, first off, do we have any issues with him using the term whiffing for defensive end recruiting in two straight cycles? Or are we okay? No, I, I, I think it's fair to say that from a high school perspective, that that's been an area of some disappointment, without a doubt. Okay. So, buyers to known, FSU allocating a high percentage of resources to the position group and signing a banner class. So those are two different things, right? Uh, allocating a lot of scholarships and time, effort, uh, NIL opportunities down the road, and then signing them, right? Um, who are they in the mix for that would consider elite? Like, is that board super robust right now? It's not. Um, I like Dylan Stevenson a ton. I don't know where his ranking falls from an elite standpoint, but I think Dylan Stevenson is an insanely talented and very intelligent football player. Who They're in a fairly good spot of consistently being in the discussion with him at this he, juncture. He's the defensive end from Miami Columbus. Yeah, he's South Florida yeah. kid. Uh, yeah. Yeah, camped here last summer, got a great deal of one-on-one attention from John Papuchas and Odell Higgins during that camp visit, was back up here in January. Uh, he's just an impressive kid, both skill and ability on the field and how he's – like his makeup. Like I, for what they tend to like in that room and what's hit in that room to this point in time, albeit a bit older and more mature, Dylan Stevenson is very similar to those types. Do you, do you know why I ask specifically Miami Columbus, the significance of that? Because that's where Mario Cristobal went. Yeah, Mario Cristobal, in addition to some other power players in Miami's program or around Miami's program. So to me, that that feels a lot of similar vibes to Keldrick Falk last year, where uh, you're trying to recruit the guy at the top of your board is in a legitimate geographic location that is not favorable for you and you'll have to battle some of some of those uh aspects if you're trying to to pull them out of of that area so i don't i don't love that being the top of your board if i'm being honest yeah another name is booker pickett recently put out what top nine i think it was he's been to fsu several times dad either played or went to miami i can't remember exactly but major family ties to miami now booker's always said he's kind of an fsu fan and went different direction than dad but we'll we'll see how that plays out they also need to get him back on campus. He has not. He did not come in during January. Great football name, by the way. BJ Pickett. He's yeah. He's absurdly talented. He had thirty sacks this past season, <laughs> and twenty two the year before. So are we buying or synoning on them? Basically, signing a banner defensive end class. I think right yeah, now, based I mean, on the information we have, this, there's two different. There's two different parts of the question, right? One one is, are they going to allocate a ton of resources to try and make it happen, and then it actually happening? Um, I think they are going to, that's going to be a huge priority for them because they need to build a strong, you know, defensive line core out of the, um, especially like on the outside of the defensive line um, through the high school ranks. Like they just haven't done that um, at an elite level in the past few cycles. So, yeah. And I think another name to note, King Joseph Edwards is a athlete that goes both ways. Um, I think he's probably a Georgia lean, but FSU's recruiting him as an edge. 
Um, I know some recruit recruit him as a tight end as well, but um, he's another elite level guy, top 50 type that that FSU's involved with and is trying to get on campus again. He's been on campus before. Um, But yeah, to me right now, it doesn't appear that way. They're not off to like some crazy start where they got a bunch of kids on campus at that position. I mean, Dylan Stevenson's the one that, you know, you can point to a top 100 type in the composite. Um, but obviously, like Brennan said, he, he has, you know, those ties to the Miami program through um, his high school. And I think, uh, you know, there's a few other names like Chris mentioned, but, you know, we need to see them make it to campus. And then um, obviously FSU needs to, to uh, I don't think there's any of those prospects that we mentioned besides maybe Stevenson that FSU's in that top, top part of their group. Um, you know, Booker Pickett obviously released a top nine, um, but he hasn't been on campus since October. So. Yeah, need to get these guys on campus and, and start to build that class. One other name that fits into this discussion to some degree is LJ McCray. But mm-hmm. long term, he probably is an inside guy. He's a strong side DN type right now. Like he, he's a body type that's a little intriguing for what he's going to project to be long term because he is already a very large human. Um, now, he's not ranked elite. I, I think he's 400s right now. His ranking sucks. If I'm yeah. being perfectly yeah. honest, like he's I just don't get his ranking. Yeah. He's extremely talented. He's the best player out of mainland since Leonard Williams. You know, I'll, I'll keep saying that over and over because I believe it to be true. Um, McCray's a really good one, and they're in a very good spot with LJ McCray. I just don't know that long term he fits into that DN role. I certainly don't know. I, I don't view him as like a speed rush DN. I view him more as a big body DN if that's where he ends up. Did either of you guys answer Bayer Sinone on that? Or we just I would Sinone banner class because to me that's like landing multiple high level ones. But you know, yeah. if you land a Stevenson and a McCray, then yeah, I would call that banner class personally. Um, but I would Sinone it for now. I'll Sinone it as well. Sunday gold, this is for you, Chris. Bayer Sinone, a shower beer. Uh yes, especially after mowing the lawn. Yes, after oh, that's a hard buy. Uh after after mowing the lawn in the summertime, a shower beer is one of life's greatest pleasures. You guys are some old heads, man. Have you ever done it? No. Mowing the lawn, I mean? Uh, I don't think so. Soft ass. By Orsonone, touchdown FSU asks, more than one FSU player will be drafted this year. But well, we got Jamie Robinson will be one. Um, who else? Dylan Gibbons, probably not. I. I don't think he'll be drafted just based on age. Probably be a, a UDFA type of guy who will end up Cam making the roster. Name. Cam McDonald, Robert Cooper. I just I haven't gotten into my nerdy draft scouting yet. I'm about to start that time of year. Um, but just based on how typically these trends go, like I don't think any of those guys are high end draft players. Is there anyone else like super athletic that maybe wasn't used a ton? Pack's in the draft, right? Uh, or Pac. Um, yeah, uh, Pack. Um, Ontario Wilson, maybe. I would. God, even then, he's fast. I still can't believe Pokey did not get an East West Shrine game invite. He, he literally, to me, is like the definition definition of East West Shrine game. A bit of a fringe prospect who athletically could be very impressive over a week of practices with NFL scouts. The issue with all the guys we've just mentioned are like fifth-year players, Pokey's case, six-year player. Like, that's just – that's not typically what NFL teams do um, unless you're super, super toolsy, which I don't know if any of those guys are. So uh, – I'm still it for now. Jamie's yeah. the only one I feel like is a lock. Um, 
we'll see if anybody else can play themselves into the process. Yeah, everyone came through back. the process. So also known it. J Rod three three one Buyer Snow sponsored by the Turner Group. The Turner Group. Mm. When FSU wins the ACC this year, well, I like the confidence he is leaning into the expectations. It would mark the greatest and fastest turnaround in college football history. Well, let's uh, let's slow our roll there. If if you won a national title this season, this season, Zach, not next season, uh, I think then you would have the ability to have that conversation based on where FSU was and Mike Norvell's weird first 2020 season, which he's talked about openly at this point as being maybe a blessing in disguise for what they had to to prove they could overcome. Uh, but winning the ACC, I don't think I could say that would be the greatest and fastest turnaround in college football history. Yeah, so. I mean, didn't TCU go five and seven the national championship game th- like this past year? So, no, I don't think it would be. I mean, that's over two seasons. It'd still be a great turnaround, but also know that. Michigan State, Michigan State, twenty versus twenty-one. Yeah, I think they won two games in twenty, two and five, or something like that, and then they won eleven the next year and were a playoff team. Uh, No, I mean it'd be a great turnaround. Alabama was pretty poor in Nick Saban's first year in two thousand seven. They jumped to twelve and two in two thousand eight, lost in the Sugar Sugar Bowl, were a top ten team. 2009, they went wire to wire, won a national championship, and that started off a dynasty uh, for them I mean, where they would win one. Tulane last year versus the year before is another example of Willie did a very good job of flipping the script year over year. Uh, you guys are laugh at me, but UCF went from winless to winning a national title in a two-year span. Disgraceful. Because you have a coffee cup doesn't mean it's true. By Orson Ohm, Savvy's Noel wants to know if Jaheim Bell will lead FSU in touchdown catches in 2023. Uh, Chris, I'll let you start off with this. Zach, you pull up the uh, the chat, DBT or whatever it is. What's I'll it, it. I, I think I think I'll lean towards Johnny Wilson being the guy in that category personally. But uh, Jaheim's going to be a nice target, especially in the tight zone. Mm, I'm going to go with Sneaky here. Micah Pittman. He's got a nose for the ball. How about that? Sinone in it. Dark horse. I was just stalling for Zach to look this up. I mean, Chad GPT basically says that he's a talented receiver with a lot of potential, and he could definitely beat the Seminoles and put catches in 2023. Oh, wow. It's based on everything before 21. So, like, Johnny Wilson pretty much does not exist to it. How'd you know? Did you research that? It's deep, deep I was told. I read it in a chat. It's impressive research, Chris. Um, No, I think uh, I think it'll be Johnny or one of the other wideouts, um, but Jaheim Bell might be you know one of the leaders in snaps. I think. Don't don't tell that to Dane Draper. Hi Orson Own. Jamrock Knoll wants to know. Oh, presented by the Turner Group. Good shout out, Jamrock Knoll. Hi Orson Own. Rodney Hill and Lawrence Tilfilly both have more than 500 rushing yards. That, I'm going to send mm. that. Um, what? Because what's Lawrence? What's his Lawrence Tofele? Has he surpassed 500 at all in his career yet? In a single season? In a season, no. yeah. He, had, he was at 457 last year. I don't, I don't think he has. Yeah, that was his career high was 457. Um, mm, no, I'm going to own it for now. I mean, I guess it's, it's reasonable. We do think Ronnie Hill is probably going to have – you know what? You know what? I'm changing my mind. Bye. Better offensive line, relatively soft schedule in the middle of the year. Uh, you'll be able to 
to have a lot of guys run the ball. I think they want to keep everyone happy, a lot of touches. Uh, three guys over 500 rushing yards. I'm going to buy it. Change my mind. I'm synoning it. I've been think shopping this for a little while, and including doing that piece about running back progression under Mike Norvell when we did the running back day last week. Mm-hmm. I would not be shocked if they lean more towards a singular back next year versus a spread it out kind of system with Trey Benson being that singular back. Do you, Chris, Byerson, Trey Benson has There's a, a Byerson own within the Byerson own. Yes. Whoa, it's inception uh, of Byerson. Yeah, it's yeah. Byerson. Trey Benson has a higher chance of hitting 1,500 yards than Lawrence Tofili and Ronnie Hill have of hitting 500 yards. Both. I would buy. I would buy that. Wow. Wow. So they really play some soft teams on their schedule. I think his carry percentage is going to increase. I mean, what, 10 yards away from 1,000 last year, and really a lot of that was done on the back half of the season. Yeah. I, I just – it wouldn't shock me. I think FSU's going to run the hell out of it next year, but it would not shock me if Trey Benson is kind of the dude versus last year where it was Benson and Ward for much of the year. Broward, Noel, 15, Byers, Sinone, sponsored by the Turner Group. Wyatt Crowell would be your Friday night starter. I'm not into baseball. We could ask straight woke Noel maybe, and he would know. But, Chris, what are your thoughts here? I love you. Um, so, great question for Brett. He probably even hit on this in Sunday Gold, especially yesterday when he broke the rotation stuff, the news. Um, it, it's an interesting thing. I, I think they're having talked to Chuck Ristano, the pitching coach, some going into fall camp and then, or I'm sorry, throughout fall camp and then going into preseason ball. I think they're searching for who is what among the pitching staff. I think they like the number of the arms they have, some of the ability they have, but it's more who fits what role. Wyatt is fully capable of being a Friday pitcher. He's electric, high octane. I think the bigger question with him is, can he do it for 16, 17 straight weeks? Do you want to do that to him? Is that the best way to use him? Or is it a little bit more him being a uh, multi-tool pitcher where he could start here and there, he could be long relief, he could even be a closer, which I think is what the role going into this weekend is with Wyatt, is the second one versus the full-time starter. Um, But he can be your Friday guy. I just don't know if that's the smartest usage of him. Carson Montgomery, traditionally, and what he was coming in as a recruit and what he is capable of being, is also definitely a Friday guy. And I think he's also a more ramped-up, consistent starter type. Are we close to having a Mount Rushmore of FSU Wyatts? Well, we've had, what, three? At least three that we know of. Your love, Sexton. Wyatt Sexton. Baseball Wyatt. Was Wyatt Sexton the Lyme disease guy? Mm-hmm. Okay. One more. One more. It's quite the pantheon of Wyatts in FSU lore. I like The it. Mount Rushmore of Wyatts? Mm-hmm. Byer Sinone, Sinone's Burner. It's just a weird name. Mike Norvell will win a championship at FSU. ACC championship? No, I think, this, I think this is No, you said championship. That means anything, Brandon. No, I think this is. Championship of life? Yeah, we're not counting any participation trophies. FSU's in it to win it again, guys. It's a whole new world. So we all really like Mike Norvell. Fair? Mm-hmm. Yes. I think he's a very Correct. good coach. Uh, he's a good recruiter, proven that in the transfer portal, whether he can be an elite recruiter. Uh, I think we're still waiting to see that play out. And that's ultimately what you need to get to the level to to win a national championship, I think, especially now in the playoff era where 
less one-offs and less margin for uh, something weird to happen where you can just sneak into a championship game. You have to win more games up against better teams. Um, I'm saying all that, the caveats that you're going to have to figure out a way to dethrone Georgia. Obviously, in your own division, dethrone Clemson, although they, they seem to be uh, falling internally, much like ancient Rome. Uh, I think Mike Norvell, uh, I don't know whether to say it or not. I think there's a decent chance that, that they could with him. I, they need to make hay again this year and be good and put two really good seasons back to back together in order to start getting the prep recruiting where it needs to be. Uh, and yes, I, I could very much so see that. I will be optimistic and say bye. I, I wouldn't have said that a year ago. I didn't even know if he would make it to 2025 a year ago, but this breakthrough 2022 season, I think changes a, a lot of the program's trajectory and will give a, a very good game day coach and developer uh, enough ammunition to recruit a high enough level to start contending. If you win this year, something of significance like an ACC title, I think there's a really good chance he'll win one in the next few years. So I'll buy it. It's my logic. How about you guys? Go ahead, Zach. This is tough. Um, yeah, I mean, the recruiting has to improve at the high school level. I think that's the biggest factor for me right now as to whether you can get it done um, for winning a national championship. I think you can win an ACC championship off of the recruiting that you're doing right now, maybe a little bit better in the prep ranks. And then obviously the elite level recruiting they're doing in the portal. Um, but yeah, I mean, if they have a good season again in 2023, and, you know, maybe you even improve some on your record. I think that's enough ammunition, like Brendan said, to, to build on um, and, and start, you know, stacking up some legitimate high school talent um, to bring into this program and, and kind of set yourself up for a for a national championship run um, in the years following. So, yeah, to me, I think uh, I, I'll buy. Um, I think Woo! Mike is I think Mike is an elite level on field coach and an elite level developer. And if he can get his, like, you know, recruiting um, in check at the mm -hmm. high school rank, and by in check, I mean, you know, recruiting top 10, top five level classes again at Florida State. Um, I think that, that, that it, everything is in line right now for them to be capable to do that. Um, you know, I'm not going to get into specifics, but I just think that, you know, top down, the, the organization looks a lot better than what it did a year ago. And that's, you know, aside from, you know, obvious on-field success in 2022. But yeah, I think uh, I think Mike is wired the right way. Um, and I think um, he's the guy to get it done. You both make excellent points, so I'm sedoning it. It's just insanely difficult to do, uh, to just be honest. I, I don't think he's incapable of it by any stretch of the imagination. It's just, yeah. I always have 1997. I've seen great teams fall short of it. I've seen great teams fall short of even playing for it. So... I just think it's going to be difficult. I think it's going to be even more difficult in the playoff here. Even though more teams get in, I still think it's going to be more difficult just to navigate that road and get to that point where you're playing for the big trophy, the one game left. I think the thing that gives me, as, as both of you guys were talking to it, I was, I was further taking in what you were throwing out there. I, I think what gives me optimism is how malleable Mike is. Like he's able to adapt and to adjust. We've seen – already like just with the transfer portal era like he's made that work for him in such a fantastically successful way uh, and that's always been kind of his mo as like a game day coach or or more of a uh, uh, a game week coach and being able to script and 
figure out strengths and and weaknesses and and so like that's something i don't dismiss with him is what we see today will not be what we see tomorrow with with mike norvell's program and, and that gives me a lot of of hope for what he'll be an optimism for what this program will be under him long term uh, but i'm with chris it is it is extremely difficult that's what gives me pause i, I think at this point like i'm confident in saying fsu has a top 10 coach nationally like they're in good hands they have the infrastructure that zach alluded to to be very good uh long term like there's a lot of positive things happening right now i go back to the point though do you agree with me guys this has to be this is a big year for mike like if he's gonna win a national yeah. championship i'm not even saying that this has to be the championship year but you can't take a step back you yeah you have it. to stack success to continue to build upon it type of thing and that's what this year is but they were to a degree ahead of schedule or at least they met schedule and you know jumped on it last year when there was skepticism going into last year whether or not that would happen for sure mm-hmm. um one other thing i would add is as the landscape's going to continue to change uh the ability for outsiders despite expansion to get in and have an equal chance of getting there is going to decrease as the sec and the big continue to flex their muscles and even the ncaa it's currently in court right now i don't know if you guys saw that but about whether players, the age old off season topic, whether players are, are they employers or not? Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's good off season fodder. But apparently, the circuit judge was just trolling NCAA during this conversation. And uh, represent, representation for the players hasn't even started talking yet. And it already seems like we know what the judge is going to do. And this is going to be a long process, anyways, right? But my point being is whether that's in a year and, and 10 years from now, whatever it is, like players will be compensated by not just. NIL deals, but by the universities. And that's going to create an even further gulf of the have and have nots. Uh, my point being to, to Chris's point is that there's going to be an even a smaller amount of teams that are going to be contending. And for what it's worth, FSU very much so seems like it is fully invested in continuing to be a power player in, in the football landscape, which is important if we're looking at the long term. Uh, the long-term trajectory of this program under Mike Norvell or whoever the coach is like, are you, are you in it to win it? And right now the answer definitively seems yes. So in the leadership above Norvell is as well. That's what I, that's, that's, that's what, what I, I was referencing as well. Yeah. yeah that's what I mean. Well, everything uh, Ingram said this uh, on the pod yesterday, I thought it was articulated well. It's basically everyone's in lockstep and I know it comes off as yeah. cliche, but, but it is feel very unified and uh, five, five fingers, one fist Lane, type of deal. Lane who we all know and love formerly of FSU athletics now working just solely for FSU used to say for once we're all rowing in the same direction. And I always thought that was a very good way of putting by Orson known from FSU alum. Oh, four wild Turkey products are overall better than Buffalo trace products. Uh, that's a buy for me. That's a, that's a buy every single level of wild Turkey products, maybe other than like the, the Pappy Van Winkle and, uh, the the BTAC line, right? Other other than that, uh, everything else I feel like is really good at its value point, wild turkey and superior to Buffalo Trace. Uh, but if either of those distilleries want to sponsor us, that, that's fine. I love you all. 850 Noel Byers known, sponsored by the Turner Group. FSU goes over 1.5 five-star recruits for its 24 class. So at least two is, is the Byers known here. I'll go with the over. Kim Davis, Charles Lester, so I'm buying yeah, it. Those are the two names that came to mind. For me, is Charles Lester a five star right now? I believe he is on a composite. Okay, yeah. I like that. And do we think there's a chance someone else had asked it? Do we think there's a chance Luke Romanhawk could become a five star recruit at least by the 24 7 rankings? Like, I know Ivan's like some 
a ton. Uh, so that you know, just just hometown, whether whether we can get him internally as as a five star. I've not seen enough of the entire quarterback class to answer that legitimately. I think Luke's extremely good. I think the industry is obviously behind versus twenty four seven with regards to his ranking. Yeah. All right, Zeralande Noel. No, is this I don't know. Almost everyone would predict Benson with the most rushing yards, Chris Nee. Who will be second, Travis, Toa Philly, or Hill? Put another way, Byer Sinone, sponsored by the Turner Group. Jordan Travis is not top two in rushing yards in 2023. Uh, wait, Jordan Travis is not top two? Bye, right. so I guess I'm so, buying it. Holy crap, man, that was a confusing way to get to that. So you're buying it. So you're saying it's going to be – Presumably Benson and then another. Then, a, then another. Uh, yeah. Jordan Jordan wasn't the number two last year in rushing yards. He was not even the number three. He was the number four in rushing yards last year. So, yeah, this isn't 2021. Things have changed. It was what? Benson, Ward, Toe, Philly, and then him? Yeah, they had four year. guys over 400 yards. I uh, I would sit on it. I, I think, yeah, I think Benson's going to be the main dude, and I think another back will be the next man up. By the way, Roddy Hill had 144 carries on 27. Damn it, 144 yards on 27 carries. Um, he's gonna be really good, guys. Five plus. Mm-hmm. All right, then I think that's it for Byers to Known. So let's pivot here. Uh, we're already at almost an hour, and we're gonna stream along here and get as many as possible. I'm gonna give us to an hour and ten minutes. I think we can do it. I'm gonna go wrap up round. But if there's something you guys want to stop and talk at, just wave your hands and and we will uh, we will lean into it if it's going to make for good fodder other than that speed along rick castro typical level of confidence that j trav can make it two seasons in a row on skate his health still terrifies me i mean i i think he's learned how to preserve himself as best as possible but football is football and weird things sometimes happen he also doesn't need to like run as much we saw that he was able chris mentioned preserving himself that means in taking hits and then even the way you use them to be effective doesn't need to that was always the conversation with him is that for, for FSU's offense to go, Jordan has to be a huge running threat. He has to be a running threat, but doesn't have to be the centerpiece of every game plan now. So I'm not as worried about it. Yeah, anyway. I agree. What Chris said. Zach, why do you always have like a three second delay in answering? I try to take everything in. I don't know. Maybe it's the internet. Zach's AI and it just takes a moment. Yeah. Let me, let me compute and process. Gabby, does Zach always have a delay when he's answering you? Depends. Good stuff. Jamrock Knoll, not sure where this belongs. Can you bring back the bourbon series this spring, summer? I don't know what that is, but yes, absolutely. Just let me know exactly what it is, Jamrock Knoll, and we'll talk bourbon this, this offseason. Hufflin 22, who from the 2018-2020 team, so in that three-year stretch, that started would start on this upcoming team? Uh, I will start the bidding with Ryan Burns, Cam Akers, maybe Tamorian Terry from just a, a talent standpoint. Wait, what team? The 20... 18 to 2020. Asante Samuel Jr. Yeah, would. Asante Samuel so for sure. Four. Trey McKitty would probably be a, a – I mean, I think I would take Jaheim Bell over him based on upside, but I think Trey McKitty would play a ton, starter caliber snaps. Yeah, he's That's, in the NFL for a reason. Yep. Yeah. So five, Gabe Neighbors. I could picture Mike Norvell finding a way to use Gabe Neighbors successfully, yeah. right? So six. Um, I'm I would sure have been interested one. with DN development with J-Rob and Kando. 
if they had the the full time. Yeah, with, if they had more time with a competent staff. Don't say that. Hampson Azraldine. Jaden Woodby was here and didn't go well, but you know, maybe more time. Uh, I'm just going down the list here, making sure we're not forgetting anyone. Anyone on the O line? He said through twenty through twenty twenty. Any other oh, on the O line? Oh. I saw Cole Minshew the you, other you day. For, you forgot like one of the main ones, Asante Samuel Jr. I said he that. Said it. Okay, I'm sorry, I missed it. He said it. <laughs> Gabby, does does Zach ever not listen to you? Like Chris just didn't listen to me. I'm sorry, I was flipping through the 19 roster and I was bringing back bad memories. She's shaking your head. <laughs> FSU's leading rushers in 2019 starts off great with Cam Akers. Uh, then it drops to the second leading rusher was Jacquez Patrick with 3.5 yards per carry. Then it goes to Amar Rasul, 10 carries for 46 yards. Treshawn Harrison was next, 23 rushing yards. DeAndre Francois, 78 attempts for 16 yards. <laughs> that can't be true. <laughs> That's sack yardage. <laughs> 78 attempts. In total, FSU had 1,093 rushing yards in 2018. They had 2,783 this past year. They almost tripled it. Maybe Chris was right. Maybe it wasn't competent was, was a fair way to, to phrase that last one. Oh, a buyer Sinone stuck, stuck in here, sponsored by the Turner Group. A quarterback, this is from Korea Null, buyer Sinone, a quarterback not named Tate Rodemaker takes second string snaps by the end of the year. I don't think anyone's going to beat out Tate Rodemaker. Sinone. Yeah, not this year. Sinone. KH, KHB 11B over under 20.5 catches for Hakeem Williams. Chris, I'm going to throw this to you because you studied some of the usage of freshmen under Mike Novell at wide receiver. What did your findings find? So 20.5 catches, let's presume they play at least 13, if not 14 games on the season. Um, I, I, I think I'd take the over on that, but like people need to have the whole Hakeem thing in check. Like, Hakeem's extremely talented, but he's also coming from a high school football program that wasn't particularly very good. There's going to be a learning curve for the young man. It's the athleticism that's appealing and the ability. I think he's more going to pick his punches. What what did a guy like Deuce Span end up with last year? Do you know offhand? Uh, I will pull it up. I actually have it real quick. I mean, it, he started off being used in the beginning of the year, got hurt, and never really did a ton. He had – Five rushing attempts, eight catches, so not a – Yeah, not I, a I was going to say double what he did last year. You know, I I think Hakeem has a shot of exceeding 20 catches, but there's a lot of guys in that room who can catch the ball, and there's some of them who are super well-established, like the Johnny Wilsons of the world, who are going to consume a great deal. But now FSU's in enough blowouts, enough situations where they're able to run Hakeem out there for third and fourth quarters before you're just running the ball and killing the clock, then, yeah, he's going to rack some up. And he's going to get some – Early in games, too. I just, you know, for as much as you should lean in on excitement of certain things, a freshman receiver on a team with a lot of good receivers, a little hesitation there, despite how talented we think Hakeem is. That's reasonable. Uh, I think there's going to be a lot of design touches for Hakeem. Not a lot, but, like, I think that's, if you're talking about 20 touches, I think half of those are going to be, like, screens or um, sweeps, things like that. Renegade Knoll 82. Right, this one might be worth talking about for a minute or two. Please share your two or three deep for the defensive line this season. This is fun. This will be a fun exercise because I think this will reflect the embarrassment of Richards FSU has up front. Let's start at defensive tackle. Uh, Fabian Lovett and Braden Fisk, we think. A one-tech and a three-tech. 
Yeah. Sure. Okay. I mean, there's some people who think that Jared Jackson might, or no. Daryl Jackson. Daryl Jackson. Oh, boy. Uh, might be the starting one tech, might develop into that. And Fabian's the three, and then Fisk, like, you kind of move him around. Um, I'm not of that mindset, though. Defensive end, Jared versus the starter, and then probably Derek McClendon as the other starter. I think it's going to be Gilbert Edmund. You think he'll overtake it? Yeah, maybe not at the start, but I think we'll we got Pat Payton, who let's say he does take the next step in the spring. Yeah. He had 5.5. Yeah, I think Pat Payton's more so like Jared versus backup, but not really backup. They're probably going to play. You, you know what? Perhaps. You know, it's a fun. I, I'm with you, Zach. You know, what, it's a fun dynamic to to have followed is how players and coaches respond to Patrick Payton. Some of the things he does, like Jared versus talked about this before Pat Payton has some pass rush moves that like Jared's like, where, where did that come from? And then even at, at the coaching clinic last week, Adam Fuller was talking about some of the, the drills that they put in uh, at the beginning of practice where they knock the ball away and they always do it from this would always do it from the side. And then there was the Miami game where Pat Payton knocked it right out of the quarterback's hand from just straight ahead of him where he just had reached out because he was blocked. Yeah, he reached it, over to offensive lineman right. and just got to the ball with his arm because he has freaky wingspan. And Adam Fuller was so like uh, taken by that that he decided to start implementing that into the ball security or, or takeaway drills at the at the start of practices uh, because like oh that's a situation that can happen in games if we rep it and make that muscle memory. Uh, but that's at least two guys who have who kind of Pat Payton has changed their way of of thinking about pass rush because of the way he moves and, and bends and at his size like there's this cerebral unique nature to him also adam fuller scolded me during his speech for saying turnovers instead of takeaways takeaways sir takeaways you would have been yelled at because you remember that chris i always <laughs> remember that no chris oh wait so that's the that's the starters um we kind of talked about the the other pieces at defensive end at well, defensive yeah. t- Tackles kind of a an embarrassment of riches too. Yeah, you got Josh Farmer, you got Dennis Briggs. Uh, you know, I think Briggs concentrating on one position, having a very healthy offseason will help him return a bit to the form of his best version of himself. Uh Josh Farmer, we saw flashes from Malcolm Ray with a fixed shoulder. You know, is a guy that definitely fits in there, experience and at times had very good moments last year, especially Louisville before the arm popped out again. Uh I'm probably forgetting somebody yeah, we're talking. Daniel yeah, Lines. Daniel Lyons. We talked about Daryl earlier. Iota Posse. Yeah. That's going back to if we could see someone transferring, just like the, the veterans, like Dennis Briggs or Malcolm Ray, potentially. Like, I could see if they feel like they got jumped some. Um, that's not any intel. It's just there's only so many snaps. Like, I know they want to be deep at defensive tackle, but we're talking about, like, seven guys. We're not even talking about, like, a like a three deep. We're talking about a potential four deep. Uh, it, it might be hard to play everyone. Odell loves to rotate, though. Like, if he has capable players to rotate, he will go six to eight. That's just eight. Eight's a ton for me to consider. Uh, But you're right. He does like he does like to. Hey, Fabian, you're going to play 25 snaps out there. Go play your backside off for 25 snaps. Next man up. That's kind of what they did at the end of the season. That worked out fairly well for them. FSU alum 04. How many current quarterbacks, including uh, Kromenhawk, finished their careers at FSU? Who are the ones to transfer and any of them possibly changing positions of from this is a lot here. You know what? Scanlon back. He asked from Jay Trav to Luke Romanhawk and all the quarterbacks in between who ends up having the best career at quarterback for FSU. I mean, Jordan Travis is going to be a 
top five quarterback in program history, maybe top four, unless he wins a Heisman, then he'll obviously be in rarefied air. Right. But um, it'll be hard to beat that out. Even as much as we think about Luke Roman Hawk fair. Yeah. Position change wise. I don't view any of those guys as likely to do it. Despite Brock Lynn being a phenomenal wide receiver. Um, <laughs> who, who ends up being the best of that bunch? I mean, I'm not going to bet against Jordan. I did that a year ago and people still bring it up. Um, yeah. I, I, somebody transferring yeah, it's the quarterback position before the portal was even really what we call it these days that that happened one ball. Yeah. So someone will transfer. Uh, maybe two guys will transfer. That's just kind of how that works. Jordan Travis will not transfer, though. I think we're all pretty confident in that. Um, Hector Rowan, I think it's kind of a mean question. Which is greater, Kanaya's snaps or his weight in 2023? As more, is that mean, guys? I want to see if we thought that was mean. I got a lot of upvotes. People want to discuss it, but I thought it was kind of rude. I mean, I, I don't expect Kanaya to be a starter. My dude weighs comfortably 330 plus. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't expect him to have 331 snaps. So, yeah. I feel like that's kind of mean, but um, he plays offensive line, so it's not something that's like, oh, he's like a receiver weighing a ton, weighing a ton of, um, or weighing a ton. Sorry, but no, I don't think uh, I don't think he's gonna play over 300 snaps. Kanai would not be even at his best day like a, a a year two expectation for him. It's about a three or four year project. Yeah. when you took him, and that was known when coming in. Exactly. Uh, key daddy, daddy. This is the deepest O-line group FSU has had since blank. O-line group? Mm-hmm. Hell, I can't remember. I mean, even 13, they had luck along the way of staying fairly healthy up there um, and some pieces falling into place. I feel better about this group than any group I can recall since about in years. That's telling. I, yeah, nothing in my time 10 years or so covering the program uh would reflect i think what this group can be just in terms of having quality pieces and experience pieces where you can be 10 10 or 11 deep yeah uh, you agree zach yeah I and mean, maybe like they're not you know there's not as much nfl upside as some of the starters on the 2013 team obviously but i think as far as the quality depth and high level or above average acc players like i think this is the best you got to feel in what decade at least crazy again good problems to have programs moving in a good direction uh key cc daddy also wants to know what position groups are you most looking forward to watching when spring practice starts i think this is Mar- march 6th when it starts is a good question just for us to start kind of calibrating toward our mindset to what we're going to be looking forward to and uh paying attention to when when things get going because it's gonna be a I'm fun spring o-line for me because I want to see how Roddick, Keandre Jones, how they fit into it. I expect Byers to be a crucial piece, but I want to see how those guys fit in, who they push, how it changes on the moving dynamics of that group as a whole. Um, I think the other position for me is going to be the back of the defense, specifically safety. You know, even if it's two guys starting that we sort of expect to be the starter types, what's the depth there? How is it going to work? Are we going to exit the spring and be like, we got to go get a safety? Or, you know, is the addition of uh, the young man from Aquinas coming in going to be enough to satisfy the needs at that position? Thank you, Conrad Hesse. Um, Yeah, those are the two for me. Yeah, for me, too, looking at um, would be wide receiver. Um, You know, Malik McClain was a guy that, you know, contributed a a good amount over the last two years for Florida State. He leaves who steps in his place. Um, I think 
Kemtron Portier, Portier um, Darian Williamson. Obviously, you get Winston right back this year, and, and you know, hopefully he's all the way healthy and can, can be a full contributor. Um, Heike Williams, how does he look in the spring? Is he ready to make a year one contribution to this team? Um, I think that that's a really interesting position group and kind of seeing how the, you know, the depth unfolds, um, you know, aside from a guy that's, you know, or guys that are uh, probably going to start like Micah Pittman and, and Johnny Wilson. And um, then the other side of the ball, interior D-line. I mean, that could be a, a completely nasty group, like we like we said. And I think, um, I mean, the starters, and then you move two, three, four deep on that um, among that group, and it's just a lot of talent. So I'm, I'm really interested to see those matchups between those guys and the and the interior offensive linemen, like Chris mentioned. That'll be that'll be fun uh, football to watch. You guys are nuts. Neither of you said tight end and Jaheim Bell and Kyle. Oh, Warlock. I wanted to leave it for you. I did not, but that's mainly because that's Dane's first love, and I was just going to let him chime in with that later on. Do we see if Biscuit takes another step? Is Brian Courtney with a full year at tight end someone who can knock on the door? And there's storylines there. I'm also super interested to see Deuce Cypress as well. And like what it's interesting because he was, he had a breakout 2022 campaign, was excellent. Uh, His two previous years playing a hefty role were fairly middling. So, like, what is he, right? Like, is he truly elite? And I, I think there's an inclination. Like, the most recent body work is always the most important. And I think FSU's defensive staff can evaluate quite well. But, like, if he is what you think he can be and he is for real, like, that does change the complexion of your secondary. Allows you to move guys around. And you also have a Zaria Thomas there. Uh, what do they do at nickel? Is Jerry and Jones potentially there? How does Renato Green do with extra competition? Like I'm really looking forward to the cornerback. They have a lot of young guys they've brought in there as well. So those are the two positions on each side of the ball for me that I'm looking forward to. Almost done. We got one more football question or random question, and then like three or four recruiting ones and we're done. So speed, speed round, lightning round, moving along here. NRG Noel wants to know which staff member do you each of you enjoy trolling the most specific examples of it. I think he means like Noel's 24 seven staff members. Um, I mean, just personally, I think you guys like to pick on me a lot, but I I could be wrong on that. I don't participate in such things. I'm an adult. There's video of you slapping me. Continue. (laughs) That was years ago. I wasn't an adult then. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Oh, is it mine? I was kind of giving it like a three second delay. Um, No, I think uh, Brendan's the obvious choice here. Um, He's the easiest to mess with. He gives great reactions. Um, I feel bad when it. What does that mean? You give great reactions. Like when I mess with you, like you get really upset or really angry. um, So it's fun. And then I feel bad when I mess with Dane because he just like is so innocent. But I guess Dane would be like a close number two. Chris is like the the bear you don't want to poke, but you got to poke him sometimes. Am I the cocaine beer? Some recruiting questions. Danny Cronin, seven. On a scale of one to ten, how confident are you that our 2024 high school class will finish in the elite range, like top eight-ish? There's really eight that are elite. Are we just going to demean this word until it means nothing? Very few are elite. There's like three classes in a year that are elite it's like o-line i i remember having a conversation with somebody last year about o-line how many elite o-linemen are there in the country and he's like maybe two or four like caden proctor maybe a couple others i'm i'm sitting here thinking like 10 so 
no, I don't think FSU ends up with an elite high school class. I think they end up with the best high school recruited class they've had under Mike Borgo. And I think it'll be a very, very good one. Blue chip ratio class, I feel like, right? Yes. Yeah. Kind of what Florida did this season. I mean, I think they had like, what, 18, uh, 18 blue chip prospects or something. I think Florida State's going to get to that level this year. Um, everything's in line. They should have a good season to, to recruit with. Um, I think it'll be good. Um, but I don't think – I mean, top eight – that the top ten is probably the goal, right? Um, I mean, collectively, you, you, you got to get there to, to start competing. Um, they've finished close to 20 in all of Mike Norvell's seasons so far, his recruiting classes. So I think uh, top 10 has got to be the goal. I think it's worth noting that they're being super selective. We've, we've discussed this before, but I think they're even – slow rolling some guys who they normally would have sprinted to take commitments from last yeah. year. Yeah. And that, that doesn't mean that's going to lead to like great things at the end of the class, but I think it's a good indication of where they are recruiting at, at this day. That's the very day here, and mid-February. One and Zach can chime in on this one little side note on this staff. They evaluate themselves. Uh, I don't, I don't think they're a type. There are schools that, or traditionally individuals who lean in on recruiting off basically a list. Who's the top two, four, seven in the country? Who's a five-star? Who's a composite five-star? Those kind of things. I don't think this staff here lives that life. Now, obviously, you want those things to align. You know, the fact that they were early on Cam Davis, uh, the fact they've been involved with Charles Lester for so long, the fact that they were ahead of pretty much everybody on Luke Kremenhoff, those are all excellent signs because the industry also lends itself to that. But like an L.J. McCray, for example, they think the world of him. I obviously do, too. But his ranking doesn't yet. So like they will take guys that people will discount to a degree and they'll be good. Now, that's not to say every take they ever make is going to hit or that they're proving somebody wrong. But, you know, I, I just don't think they obsess over the list like somebody that subscribes to a service such as ours may, you know, in comparison. Oh, that's fair. You guys hear me typing? Sorry. What? Okay, I'm putting something into uh, the chat thing. Oh, man, I asked who would win in a fight, Mike Norvell or Jimbo Fisher, and so they cannot predict the outcome of a hypothetical Fisher education. Yeah, it's too smart to answer your questions. Um, yeah, I agree, Chris. I think uh, Florida State's going to value their own evaluations um, more than, you know, what a recruit, what any recruiting, you know, service is, is telling them um, a player is ranked. But I think collectively, right? Like if you're looking at an entire class, um, I think it it's usually a good sign when you're ranked in the top ten. Like you're not. It's really unlikely that you're just finding a bunch of hidden gems that no other school like really wants. Um, when you're, I mean, we're in 2023, right? Like there's not a lot of recruits that are going unnoticed. Um, and that doesn't mean that guys can't be long-term projections, um, guys that, you know, can develop into really solid, you know, NFL draft type of players later in the careers. But, um, you know, that's some of what Florida State's landed over the past few years. But I think uh, I think the most important thing is Florida State as a whole needs to recruit a higher level of prospect out of the high school ranks. And I think, you know, we, we've obviously talked about that at length on here. Um, but I think that, you know, they're off to a good start and they have a pretty – Nice and developed board. I would like to see, you know, the board expanded at multiple positions um, to try and achieve, you know, getting to that that top 10 type of level. 
I think linebackers a position position that we've we've talked about at length that they need to keep improving um, the recruiting at the high school level and then you know edge like we we talked about earlier um, and a few others but I like where where things sit right now and I think uh, you know I I wouldn't project them to finish top eight but I don't think it's out of the question uh, or out of the picture I should say um, right now I'd say you know top fifteen is kind of where I project them. Gross. I, Gross top I think they can finish top 10. One thing to keep in mind with the numbers game, too, is if they're – say they take hypothetical number 17, 18 high school kids because they're still going to save room for the portal. I think they're too good at portal recruiting to walk away from doing it. Well, I think they would prefer to recruit a little bit more high school. Mike Norvell went out of his way on Monday in Pensacola to say, you know, hey, 66% of our class last year was still high school. We just get really, really good portal players, and we hit on portal players. So that's why we get so much uh, shine about the portal. So do I think the numbers will move a little bit? Yeah, it might trend into the 70 percentile for high school recruits. But at the end of the day, they're still going to go to portal if they can get really good players. It's about talent accumulation for them. It, it, I don't. They don't obsess with, oh, we're going to high school or, or portal kid. And we know they also get one-year, multi-year portal kids. It's not you know one-size-fit-all. I want to thank Zach for sharing the insight that FSU values their own recruiting board more than the 24-7 sports one. That was good stuff. I think there's some staffs. That really? Do you, do you really? I think oh, there's some I, staffs. I've, that I've have covered people. Over. Yeah, I've yeah. covered people that care a lot about rankings and what the company is saying. Now, I don't think this staff is that way. I think they might poke a little fun sometimes at a kid and where he's ranked if they wholeheartedly disagree with it. But that's a one-on-one conversation with, you know, both of us having personal knowledge of one another. So like, it doesn't bug me in the least, but but, but do you, they don't obsess over it. Zach, like, are there, uh, do you think there's staffs in the country that are making offers based on where a player yes. is ranked? That's yes. nuts. Yeah. hundred percent. I think that's been happening. When did this stuff start? Late nineties, really when rivals originally came around. Yeah. It's been happening a hell of a long time. It's not everybody, and it's a select few, but there's ones that do it. That's crazy to me. Like, if anyone's reading a BS scouting report and they're taking any kind of... Well, they obviously... Miami did it with your OJ Frederick uh, BS scouting report. They offered them the next day. That's true. And there's schools that play follow the leader, too. I'm I'm not even trying to take a shot at Miami here. Um but I mean, there'll be an offer thrown out to a young kid, say a Florida State's freshman. done that before. Like thrown out to a freshman because one, they have the measurables; two, the film is decent enough; three, he ain't committing tomorrow, so we're just going to build this relationship. We're getting in on the ground level. A school will offer a kid, and they will not have a grand view of him as a kid they're taking. And then suddenly another school will come along and offer because hey, this school offered him, and that's just you know that's not evaluating; that's playing ball to leader. Yeah. I mean, you look at ranked. yeah. You can look at who Bama is offering, like in the state of Florida. Like, if you're one of the three in-state schools, it's probably a good idea to be in on the guys that Bama is offering in your own state. Like, there's that pressure that's kind of put on you as a staff. You're like, yo, Bama likes this kid. Like, why are we not offered him, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's you know something that is definitely you know put in the minds of of coaches. But you know, I, I've seen guys that Bama's offered like in-state. And sometimes they're chasing FSU. And, th- and that's probably, you know, what should happen, right? If Florida State's recruiting at the level it should be uh, in its own state, they, they they should be the ones ahead on all these guys. Um, but 
yeah, I think uh, like that definitely does happen, Brendan. Like there are staffs that I know of. Like I've talked to, you know, people in the industry and there are Brendan. staffs that care. No, there are staffs that care a ton about rankings that, 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 you know, they value that a ton. Um, and I think, uh, I don't think that of a Florida state staff at all. Um, I believe some know. coaches have even had it written in the contracts of if I get a class really? rate this by this, by the industry or by this outlet that I get a bonus. I don't um, know if that's still going on, but I believe that has happened in the past. It's not quite the same. I do remember someone in the industry in the coaching industry accusing Dan Mullen of taking players who he knew would bump his recruiting rankings while knowing that they weren't going to uh, be able to enroll at the university because of the grades. Are you talking about like D1 Black or I believe it was Black's one of references, right? The linebacker? The linebacker, uh, there was a wide receiver. There was multiple guys in in a singular class that they were. They had multiple like, yeah, there was like back-to-back-to-back classes of guys that didn't qualify like at the end. And the coaches around the country were like – we're like, you won't, we're not going after these guys because we know they don't have a chance. And so yeah, like, the, they need, yeah. The flip uh, side of this conversation is there are some staffs and uh, I think Bud has talked about this and I agree with him. I, Coastal Carolina, the people they have working for them, they do a really good job of evaluating and finding kids ahead of the curve. They're usually early on some really, really good talent. And there's other schools that are examples of that. And that, that's kind of cool. Like I, I was having a conversation, I have a friend now that works at Coastal and I had that conversation with them recently here where if they offer a kid early, I'll usually just pull up the phone and watch the kid. If it's a Florida, Georgia, Alabama, regional kid who I know FSU or others that I care about or have an interest in may end up pursuing. Just because Coastal offered, I'll go and take a look. Yeah. And, and there's other staffs that, well, I'm not going to run my mouth on it. I'm just going to go take a look. I just taking a peek. <laughs> Yo, it is fun. It is fun to see a kid and be like, damn, this kid can play. And yet nobody industry wise or college wise is yet really on them pushing. I mean, the South Georgia DB that FSU was first on from Warner Robins, you don't end up with nine interceptions by accident. Like you got some skill to be doing that as a sophomore. Agent Coke will tribe 24 end with more commits rated in the top 150 or the 300 plus range. I, mean, I think most of the class will probably still, well, because blue chip ratio will take you into the 300s, right? A four star recruit still going to be in the three to 350 range. Yeah, I, I think it ends uh, around 400 or so usually. That's a good question. Yeah, it is good. I don't think they're quite there yet. I, they'll definitely hit blue chip ratio this year from the prep ranks. So they were one off this past cycle. Um, so they'll definitely surpass it. But like, oh, let's look up. I mean, who, who are they in for in the top 150 right now? Who do they have committed as a top 150 guy? When I, Cam Davis. Cam Davis. Uh, it's definitely one. Luke, Luke is one as far as 24-7, but industry hasn't caught up. We'll catch up. Um, it's a quarterback. I believe. Is Camden? No, Camden's not. Camden's uh, not. Tawaski Abrams is 308. Jordan Pride, 72. I mean, so a lot of these guys are in the th- – I mean, so right now they have one, two – three four five blue chip players committed and one two three of them are in the 300s for context defensively lester would fall in that category Camarion franklin who they have a battle on their hands to land but he is supposed to visit again here coming up he's another guy that definitely fall on that level i think dylan stevenson does i think personally lj mccray is a kid that might trend in that direction but we shall see he's currently residing in the 400s for example 
I don't know if they can get enough on the defensive side that satisfies moving the balance, you know, in the top 150 versus plus. Yeah, I agree. I think it's, I think that 300 to 350 range is going to be the sweet spot this year. Um, and then obviously like within the top 247 itself, um, but 150 is, is pushing it a bit if you're going to talk about more than, uh, than the guys they'll have uh, in the back half of the class, I think. If there's 20 good recruiting classes in the country and they average 20 high school kids, that's 400 prospects to give you an idea of how that kind of fills out the upper tier. Uh, let's go down the line here. Nino Zoe, while you're talking about the multiple questions fixed in where we will end up ranked in the 24 class, uh, can you talk about average ranking too? It will be easy to dismiss our rankings because we won't have the numbers to be high enough for some. Uh, so he's basically asking what the, then he put in a little bit more, uh, but with the portal recruiting with the, like the grade, the average grade versus the class ranking. They were on record already in the show stating that the transfer portal rankings still aren't valued enough. Yeah. And I was going to ask you if, cause you, you know, danced on that side of the fence. some this past cycle with company, if there's been discussion of how they change one, the amount they dedicate to transfer portal to the value they give it in three, how it factors into a general class ranking. Because uh, I think this year is going to show with schools that had very good portal classes, what us, Michigan, LSU, who else is in that category, that they're probably going to be some of the better teams in the country. And the portal is going to be the portal players they took are going to be a major factor why. in that. Yeah, I, I know as a company, like uh, multiple levels to this, but as a company, like, we've seen the interest in the transfer portal. And I know it's not the same as whether we change the way we value the ranking system, but I think we've seen the interest in it. And I think that'll lead to more resources in covering it, which will then lead to more resources and people saying, Hey, this is important. Uh, pulling up all the facts. I mean, there was a few years ago, people didn't think that if, if you weren't a quarterback in the transfer portal that you weren't going to present value. And that's totally turned on its head. That, that's no longer a thing. I remember not, not to throw Josh under the bus on this, the show, but like, cause it was, he was speaking amongst coaches, you know, four coaches then, but saying, if you're in the transfer portal three years ago, there's a reason why. And that's still yeah. true to an extent, but like, it's not a reason to not take someone now. It's changed totally. I stopped talking because I thought Zach had a good, I was going to say, but he just said, yeah, he was just like hype manning me. No, I, yeah. I, I agree. I think viewpoints change a ton, like with something that's new, right? Like I think uh, the transfer portal was kind of looked down upon, um, like you said, and that you know not at the fault of anyone. That's what college coaches were thinking of it. You know, these guys are have character issues. They quit on their team. Like, why do we? Why would we want to bring these guys into our locker room? Like, it's obviously not the case if you can find the right types and. That's not to say there aren't those types out there that enter the portal, right? Like, I think that that has been a, a, a byproduct of the portal is you, you're finding some of the guys in there that are, you know, not great for, for your locker room. But Florida State has had little to no issue with that, um, especially this past season. And, you know, not all those guys were ranked super high, but pretty much all of them contributed in a huge way to Florida State this past year. And I think this 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 cycle has a chance to be even greater um, as far as a, an impact um, on this next year's team. And we do still have like coach James Franklin at the coaching clinic last week said he hates the transfer portal. He thinks it's one of the worst things that's happened to college football in recent memory. 
And so not everyone's a fan of Evolve it. Evolve or die, baby. Evolve or die. I, I think there's still an obsession in the coaching community overall of we build teams, we develop teams, we get guys for three, four, five years, and we're going to turn it into the programs. No, it's all one year. All of it is one year. Your roster is one year. If you can retain and it's good retention and it carries over next year, then that's awesome. But in reality, it's a whole one year at a time now. And smaller roster size, the more that's become apparent. I mean, men's basketball, not to get back on that and have people tuning out, but that's 100% proof positive in men's basketball. I think in college baseball, we're going to start seeing it a little bit more because, again, roster is a bit smaller, around 25 to 30. Football is an 80-man roster. It's a little bit different. But at the same time, you're building for one year at a time now. It's no longer we're building long-term. Now, if you can get a quarterback who plays as a sophomore and you're going to get two good years out of him, that's awesome. I'm not saying that's gone to the wayside. I'm just saying you're playing for what's ahead the next 12 months at all times. I pulled it up in chat GBT, whether the transfer portal is a good tool. It says, yes. Firstly, it provides student athletes with more control and flexibility over their academic and athletic futures. Secondly, it can help balance the power dynamic between student athletes and coaches. However, like any tool, the transfer portal also has potential downsides. You shut your mouth. I'm, I'm closing it. Stupid tool. You led me astray, Zach. Asked, is Brendan Sonone a good reporter? Ooh, ask it. Ask it. Pull it up while I'm asking this question. It says, I do not form opinions about people of their work. However, Brennan Sinone is a sports journalist who has covered Florida State football for many years and has won awards for his reporting. What? True. I have. He has I've built won. a reputation as a reliable search for Florida State football news and has a following among Florida State fans. You know what? This chat GPT is on something. I like it. I'm in again. NYC <laughs> no, NYC 92. I didn't ask anything though pre-2021 is all it knows. So post-2021, I could have really dropped off the, the map here the last two years. NYC Noel 92, are you, the 24-7 staff, beginning to have more confidence in the linebacker recruiting board? Zach, I'll throw this to you. After the last week, yes. Because two four-star linebackers have set up visits to visit Florida State in the month of March. Um, both guys that are pretty talented. Chris reported on one. I reported on another. You can go check them out on Noel347.com. But, yeah, the board's expanding. We expected it to. Um, I'm not, you know, I'm still not super in love with just the process of linebacker recruiting at Florida state right now. I don't, I feel like it's very different than the recruiting at pretty much any other position. Um, it feels very slow and methodical. Um, but it doesn't feel like they're landing, you know, aside from the guy last cycle, like Blake Nicholson, a super high level quality of athlete right now. Um, and that, that can change, right. They have the, this past year to sell, um, they have the, the future of the program to sell. I think uh, I think it'll be interesting. I think March, April, um, you know, after these two months of visits, we're going to really see who Florida State's in in it with because um, you know the, the recruiting cycle is, is moved up a ton. I think a lot of guys are going to start making their decisions, and I mean it's already happened in the past few years and started to um, take place. But I think July's like the beginning of July to like mid July feels like like an early national signing day with how many guys are making decisions. They take those four or five official visits in the month of June, and then they go into July and make a decision. Um, Florida state saw their class increase class size increase a ton this past year and the year before um, in, in July. And then, you know, moving a little bit into August before the season. 
And then it kind of, you know, alleviates the pressure of having to target a ton of guys during the season while you're worried about your actual football season. So, yeah, I think, uh, I think the linebacker board is starting to grow and that's encouraging, but we need to see a lot of these guys make it to campus and um, see it, you know, expand even more because you can't have a board of only, you know, two or three legitimate targets. That's just not how this, this can run. Yeah. Jeremiah Marcelin's an unnamed to mention there. He did come in January. He's definitely a kid that I think they like a great deal. It's FSU and Miami for him at this stage of the process. Um, the board has expanded. I, it will continue to expand. Linebacker is one of those weird sticking points. I feel like we always land on something over the years. You know, Odell can't recruit anymore. It was a few years ago, and then while well, that went to the wayside, things like that. Currently, we're stuck on linebacker, and that's the thing that we're all going to talk about. It's important that they do get kids in in March and April. Yeah, and they got to close. But at the end of the day, they're only going to take two or three linebackers, and maybe they go portal for one because they have gone a little bit more high school heavy with the past cycle and getting one in the prior cycle. So we shall see. I'm more comfortable with it, but I don't think we're going to see a drastic departure from how they've gone about doing their business at that position. Two more questions left. Almost done here. And this has been a marathon. This is from Big Hearn, and this is a recruiting question for Zach and Chris. Is FSU involved with Fletcher Westfall, and is there a concerted effort to get back in the DMV? Well, well real quick, I'll let you guys uh, marinate on Fletcher Westfall. I can say there is a uh, an effort being discussed and, and a plan to – start getting back up in the DMV area. Uh, and that's me. I know you didn't ask for my opinion, even though I am according to uh, ChatGPT, a well-respected uh, individual in the sports journalism industry and is known for my thorough reporting and in-depth analysis. Um, I could say that, yes, that is something they've discussed. They think that could be a potential market inefficiency in the NIL landscape and would be a good place to set up shop. On Westfall, I don't know specifically about them being really involved. He has not been on campus, to my knowledge, Zach. They have offered. Yes, they have offered, but I don't think he's been on campus. I I sort of take the, till they step on campus or tell me they have plans to, I'm not really super concerned with them kind of approach with how FSU recruits with this staff. Uh, From the DMV perspective, John Papuchas is up there. He works the area. Brendan kind of hit on some of the stuff we know behind the scenes that they're doing with their efforts in the area and the way they give it attention. The key with that area is you got to get those kids in two to three times in a cycle. And, you know, one of those an unofficial usually in the spring and no one's probably an official. And then you got to mix a third one in there if you really want to have a great shot. And it's just kind of, you know, you can't believe it's going to happen until it starts happening. So we got to see that. But I mean, there are kids, uh, Jalen Harvey, the D end who I wrote a little bit, or I mentioned on the board yesterday and, as a network, we wrote a little bit about yesterday as a kid from the D part of that. So there you go. Kid show. Uh-oh. Who is Chris Nee? Chris Nee is an American television writer and producer. She is best known as the creator. Doc McStuffins. Doc McStuffins. <laughs> all right. Well, let me alter it. Does Chris Nee cover FSU? As far as I'm aware, Chris Nee, the television writer and producer, does not cover FSU. Uh-oh. Or any other university or sports team part of her work. Well, uh, is there... Is it possible that there is another person with the same name who covers FSU or sports in general? But I cannot confirm this. Uh oh. Uh oh. If only had that Doc McStuffins money. I said, Who is a Chris Nee of 24 7 Sports? It says he has been with the company since 2013. He's built a reputation for breaking news and providing in depth coverage of college football recruiting. Nee is particularly well known for his coverage of Florida State University football recruiting, but he also recruits covers recruiting for other teams in the south or southeastern United States. Prior to joining <laughs> prior to joining 24/7 Sports, he worked for rivals.com and ESPN. <laughs> Never worked for ESPN. 
Dibble didn't scout there for a minute. R.I.P. Mostly we rivals. Obviously. No, I mean we we absorbed them. Still R.I.P. Got all five of their subscriptions for their FSU site. FSU CB four hundred. Who will be our two to three next most likely commits for the twenty four class? What? Go ahead, anyone, Zach. Anyone on commit watch as we wrap up here, Zach? This freaking marathon. Uh-uh. Let's think. Uh, BJ Gibson would be the first one that comes to mind. Four star wide receiver that Florida State's been involved with for a while. Um, he's been to campus a ton. I think it's been five times now. Um, and I think. You know, if he's going to make a decision soon, I think FSU would probably probably be his choice. Other than that, I mean, Charles Lester, I think FSU sits in a really good spot with, but I don't expect him to make a decision anytime soon. Um, moving down the list, Jonathan Daniels is a guy that I think FSU is in a good spot with. Don't know of his decision timeline. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a, a good amount. Ricky Knight, I think FSU leads for um, out of Benjamin School. Jordan Hubert Travis. Kalist Jr., Hubert Kalist Jr. Tight end. Yeah, he's a tight end out of. I'm interested spring wise with him. One, if he gets to FSU, say March or April. And then if he's willing to wait till May for schools to hit the eval period and get out there and see him, I think he is someone who will trend up as far as interest. But FSU is extremely early there. They like him a lot. Uh, Yeah. Uh, And he likes FSU a lot. Uh, Let me pivot that question when will be the next wave of commitments? So not just like one random one here or there, but like we know they usually like to try to get a bunch of guys to I, I, go public at the what the end I, of June, July? I think there'll be a sprinkle in the spring, but I, I think it's June. I think it surrounds the elite camp and then the time that comes right after that. Yeah, I think it's – I mean, spring – you know, we, we always like look at the spring game list as kind of like that big recruiting weekend, but they're hosting – I think it's going to be like five or four in a row, like junior days in March and April um, leading up to that that game. Um, so maybe we see a, a slew of commitments uh, surrounding the spring game. But I think it's more so going to be like guys taking on officials in March and April and then moving their officials to June, um, take, you know, seeing all the schools they're interested in and then making decisions in early July, like I said before. I think there's a degree of FSU probably also wants to get out there and see some guys in May, uh, yeah. guys that they like to make another judgment upon and guys that they think they might like to make like that judgment of whether or not we need to go on him versus another target at the same position. Um, so I think there's a slight hesitancy with some to be in a rush to take them and fill up too much. Cause they're already at what, eight or nine for the class. So. The spring eval period could be really fun. I know normally from a coverage standpoint, it's kind of dull for us. It's a lot of like, hey, they went to go see this guy. This is an offer here. But like, this will be only their second full spring that they've had, which is important. Uh, They now have this solid, extensive off-field recruiting office, uh, which they had last spring as well, but now solidified, stabilized. So you have that. And this is the first spring that you've been evaluating and recruiting from a position of power, which will be yeah, interesting. You're also ahead on guys you know you've liked in this class for mm-hmm. a while. You've probably known them about two years now. Also, the spring eval period will allow them to get the jump even further on 25, 26, and even start dipping into 27. It's just, just we've talked about how Clemson kind of has built its, its dynasty was being ahead. They were able to get solid. They had stability amongst coaching staff and that led stability with recruits and you're able to win. And it only kind of keeps further and solidifying itself and 
we keep talking about FSU being in this window to uh, really make hay on this season. Like this is another example of it, what they did in, in the 2022 year and why it's big to continue this in 2023. This season, to take it full circle, if you will, this this season, not this upcoming season, it's important to continue it because you're able to recruit from a, a position of power, a position of stability, and that all really matters when trying to build a championship contender. And that's how we are starting to cover this program as one that's trying to work its way back to there. It isn't too far off. Anything else for ChatGBT, Zach? No, let's end this thing. Okay. For Zach Blosting, for Chris Nee, I'm Brendan Snow. This has been a nearly two-hour podcast. Sorry to everyone who listens.